It's been 29 years almost to the day since I last played football. Killer is what they used to call me. <laughs> can still hear a teammate's mom yelling that from the stands, get him, killer. Hard to imagine. I probably got some of the aggressiveness from wrestling from a very young age. Most of that aggressiveness I've suppressed or redirected <laughs> most. So I still remember, sadly, after, shortly after my ordination, being asked to give a talk to a relatively small group. And it was a good talk, not a bad talk, good talk, short talk too, so that's two pluses. But there was one man there just visibly agitated and just hitting his pin on the paper. I mean, so you could see my chair just happened to be next to his. So I went around and put my hand on his neck and said, can I help you? <laughs> it's terrible, I know, but an improvement from the muscle memory that was resurfacing. <laughs> you know, I spent my time growing up chasing balls and chasing girls. Those were the extracurricular activities of choice for me. Until my sophomore year in high school, when in football practice, I broke my arm. And I began to gradually lose all my fine and gross motor skills, from jumping to riding to speaking. I still remember struggling just to button my shirt. Went undiagnosed for months, which increased the uncertainty for my poor parents. After nine months, they took me to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, willed me in, and there I was diagnosed. Uh, apparently, like happens, we have viruses going through our system, but it just happened to be at the time when I broke my arm, and that virus found its way into my bloodstream and into my brain. It took another three more months for me to hit the lowest point, the darkest point. And then another six months after that until I was able to return to school. Now, I don't know about you, but during high school, friends and activities are nearly everything. That was really how my identity was built. But certainly from the illness and added to that living on a farm away from town, away from friends and everything, all of that was gradually and eventually removed, absolutely. So I began to wonder if there was a tomorrow and if I'd want that tomorrow. I made a partial recovery so I could graduate with my high school class and went on to college with some accommodations. And to this day, I still bear the marks of that time spiritually, for sure, and physically as, as well. I share this, even though I've mentioned it briefly before, I share it in greater detail this morning, partly because it seems fitting. We've been together for a little while now. It's been over a year. A parishioner sent me a picture from this week last year, and we were tearing up carpet and constructing this sanctuary. It's been quite a year. So I share it partly for that reason, to make explicit something of my own journey, which comes out implicitly at times. But I share it most especially because it's the lived reality through which I understand. Endure your trials as discipline. God treats you as sons, as children, 
Notice that trials has no qualification. In every trial, God is at work loving us, forming us as his children. Nothing is outside his providence, which brings good through trials. A Christian author put it this way. He said that it's a common theme in the Old Testament that suffering functions as discipline. Suffering and trials were allowed in order that Israel might be trained to higher standards of faith, hope, and obedience. It may come as a shock to many Christians, he went on to say, to discover that there lies ahead of them a life in which God, precisely because he is treating us as sons and daughters, will refuse to spoil us or ignore us, will refuse to let us get away forever with rebellion or folly, with sin or stupidity. He has his ways of alerting his children to the fact that they should either pause and think again, or turn around and go in the opposite direction, or get down on their knees and repent. But notice, parents most especially notice, that the lived reality of trials is itself open to varying interpretations, true or false ones, ones that correspond to the reality of discipline from above, or ones that don't and simply suggest that life's unfair or you're a victim. I consider it a special grace not to have doubted God or to turn, have turned away from him or to have had too much self-pity. But grace doesn't come to us as an abstract idea, something we reason our way to. Grace comes through the Lord's way of life, through the narrow gate of keeping the Lord's day holy, a prayer, sacraments, devotions, charitable activity, and not abdicating responsibility. Taking responsibility for those things that you can do, the good that can be done, for those precisely are ways that God in his providence has permitted to us for our betterment. I'm convinced this virtuous way of life of my parents instilled from the beginning in us kids was the true and default way I'd been given to interpret trials. It was the light that allowed me eventually to see. For at a most basic level, there is no other way to the resurrection apart from the way, the trial of the cross, in which God's loving providence is verified by a son who trusted to the end and was raised from the dead. Such is the basis, I suspect, of my relentless encouragement to be faithful to Christ's teachings, to be faithful to the sources through which they reach us, like proper celebration of Mass, and to be faithful to the practices of the faith that your children deserve and need in order to see and survive and thrive. Parents, Despite how much you want this, you cannot protect your children from all loss and suffering and tragedy. But you can present to them in your own person the pattern of life capable of transforming suffering and death into the new life untouchable by the grave. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Don't lose heart when there are challenges, sufferings, and trials. Place yourself in the way of grace and see how the Lord is loving you.